Hi, I'm Elise Kennedy. Welcome to Jarden's Startup Tech Series, where we host entrepreneurs, venture funds, and technology companies on trends across the industry. Today, I've got the pleasure of being joined by Adam Lebowski, CEO and founder of software company SafeWill. So thanks for joining us today, Adam. Thanks, Elise. It's great to be here. So can you explain a little bit more about SafeWill and what it does? Yeah, absolutely. So SafeWill makes it easy and affordable for people to write a high quality and bespoke will. Um, Australians have typically been quite apathetic when it comes to planning towards their end of life. Um, that's, you know, for a range of factors. But what we're trying to do is to bring a sense of accessibility and approachability and affordability to this area that, you know, a lot of people have been neglecting for a while. If I think about the accessibility and the affordability side, perhaps you can talk about some of those areas as to what is your revenue model and how does that compare to your more traditional approach? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that historically the you know primary way to write a will has been to go and sit down with a lawyer. They mm -hmm. draft you a bespoke document um, and that can you know take uh, weeks and, and, and cost up to thousands of dollars. Uh, for the vast majority of Australians, a complex, technical, bespoke document isn't really what's required for a relatively simple estate. Uh, so what we do is we um, charge a one-off fee to write your will online. Uh, it takes just 20 minutes, costs $160. Um, and then there's an optional subscription feature as well, which is $15 a year. It allows for unlimited updates to the will document. Uh, if there are any updates to the law that require changes to be made to, to a person's document, we make those and send them a new one. They can digitally uh, store a scanned copy of their will. So there's that security aspect as well. Um, you know, and it's all for, for a very reasonable and affordable price. Interesting. And that recurring fee, do you find that you have quite a few updates that occur over the year from or over the couple of years from those that uh, have initially done that one-off will? Yeah, definitely. I think that what we're trying to do is actually reimagine the will from a static document that, you know, exists at one point in time to being a live document that is constantly being updated to reflect your current circumstance. So it's not only, you know, people think about updating will, you know, writing people out as a beneficiary or including new gifts. Um, that's certainly a part of it. But I think, you know, providing a clear picture of your asset holding um, and your, your liability holding to make it easy when the time comes for your executor to administer your estate and making sure that all of your wishes are up to date. Um, that kind of a thing is really important. And it's often, you know, a neglected part of a will. It's not just this technical legal document. It really should be a reflection of, of your wishes and your legacy. Yeah, very good points there. And when we think about the geographical dispersion, are you only Australian and is there a state-based skew? Is there a potential for taking this offshore? Yeah, so at the moment we are Australia-wide. To launch the product is challenging because there are state nuances. Uh, it's not a national law when it comes to a state law. Um, so that was certainly a challenge at the beginning. I think in terms of uh, global expansion, it's definitely something that, that we'll be looking at. Um, a will as sort of product or concept does exist in most countries around the world. Uh, the nuances there around the law uh, do exist and, and they vary jurisdiction to jurisdiction. But I think that, you know, we've got our UX down pad and our brand and, and product are, are pretty good at this point. There's a lot of work to go. Um, but it is the kind of thing that, you know, is globally scalable. And how do you reach your customers and who and how have you seen that kind of growth over the last few years? 
Yeah, it's a really interesting question uh, because it's not a product where there is, you know, one set demographic who buys a particular pair of shoes. Uh, our customer base ranges from the ages of 18 through to 95 was our oldest user. Um, and, you know, from Metro to country Australia, which is also amazing. Moment, our main focus on for, for customer acquisition has been through paid media channels, uh, mainly uh, digital, um, and that's been you know really good way to to get off the ground and you know scale um, our first you know several tens of thousands of users. Um, but now it's a question of how do we go beyond that and what are the other opportunities that we look at um, for acquiring customers, and that's where our head is currently sitting. Mm. Have you been thinking about partnerships and do you have any of those, you know, whether it be with, you know, funeral homes or whether it be with the lawyers themselves or anything that, you know, may be taboo when we don't like to talk about it, but is actually a realistic channel to go to market? Yeah, absolutely. So I think uh, at the moment we've been partnering with a few uh, employers to be providing it as, you know, a financial wellness benefit. Mm. Uh, we've partnered with a few charities who are using our platform to raise bequest donations, uh, mm -hmm. which is great. Um, and I think, you know, the broader um, strategy of how do you get to people who really need a will, uh, that's something which we're looking at now and we're really excited to, to see how we can help those Australians who are in need. Yeah, fantastic. And then if we think about the industry more broadly, where are your dollars being taken from? Is this kind of a new disruptor to potentially the legal side? Is that how you think about your total addressable market? I think so. At the moment, as, as far as the will goes, um, it's certainly, a, you know, it's disrupting the legal industry more than anything. Mm -hmm. uh, I think in time, though, the view is how do we extend this to broader end of life? A, a lot of the pricing structures that have held people out of writing a will have existed in other areas of end of life, um, like yeah. fuel and, and things like that. So I think that our view is how do we bring this amazing, fresh, approachable brand and product uh, and extend that to a broader suite of, of services that we can offer. Yeah. And how do you think about the percentage of the market perhaps that you capture today? Is it minuscule and how do you see your potential penetration of how much of that market you could capture? Yeah, so historically uh, less than 50% of Australian adults have written a will. Um, our goal is to have 0% of Australian adults without a will. Uh, it's an ambitious goal. Um, <laughs> I think we've, you know, taken really good strides to, to start off that journey, but we have a long way to go. So we are really looking at the addressable market as being, you know, when you turn 18, you do a number of things, you go get your licence, um, you know, you sort out your voting and stuff like that. Uh, one of those fundamental things should be writing your will because it's no longer difficult or expensive to do, um, but it's a really important safeguard to have in place. Yeah. And in the competitive landscape, is there anybody else doing what you're doing here and or overseas? Yeah, globally, there are a number of um, sophisticated players, particularly in the US and the UK. Um, and that, you know, seeing the journey that they've gone on has been really inspiring for us uh, in Australia. Uh, there are a number of domestic competitors. Uh, we still sort of view our main competitors as being, um, you know, lawyers and uh, probably apathy. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people think or, or may know that they need a will um, but the apathy and the the perceived difficulty of writing one is what stops them so that's really what we're competing against um, as well as you know providing a, a safe and alternative um, a, sorry a safe and affordable alternative to lawyers 
uh, for people for whom the product is appropriate. And how do you find you can create some differentiation versus, say, some of those domestic peers? I understand and appreciate huge market for growth right now and it's really just capturing, say, that extra 50% and or disrupting that, that legal profession. But say there are other players in there. What do you think SafeWill does differently to be able to say that's who I'm going to choose to do my will with? I think our UX, uh, and this has you know, been widely played out over um, the reviews that we have, uh, our UX and, and customer service is sort of second mm. um, and you know, it's been great and super humbling to see the reviews that we've received online. Um, on top of that, the product itself and the digital capabilities that we're building in to the updates and to you know, what you can store as part of your profile, uh, there's certainly um, you know, leaps and bounds ahead of both the competition in Australia but also globally. Um, and that's really exciting to see an Aussie brand leading the charge there. Absolutely. I always do like to get behind some of those, hence why our tech podcast. Um, I'm also curious, what are some of those barriers to entry? I know that you mentioned just earlier about nuances between each of the different states, which I assume would be part of it. I'm sure there's a few other things that perhaps make it harder for a new entrant to come in. Yeah, I think, you know, having um, a state-based system where you need to make sure that uh, your product has a 0% fail rate uh, because a will isn't the kind of thing that, you know, you can muck up for a user. Um, and so making sure that you have a system that is absolutely foolproof and that provides a document that is state-based and, you know, appropriate and applicable to, to the particular jurisdiction that it uses in with a 0% fail rate is a really difficult thing to do. Um, it's something that proudly, um, touch wood, we've so far achieved. Um, but, yeah, that's certainly a big barrier to entry. Yeah. And if you think about that, other regulatory you know, sign-offs that you need or any bodies that have oversight of, of you and, and the business? Yeah, we've been working with lawyers since day one. Um, so making sure that, you know, not only we had uh, lawyers drafting the original precedent documents, mm -hmm. um, but in fact, they are you know, regularly updated. Uh, the system is regularly QA'd by lawyers. Uh, we have lawyers on staff as well. Um, and really making sure that, that we are, you know, crossing our T's and dotting our I's from a legal perspective, because the last thing that we want for our users is that there's any error in a will document that's generated. Mm. Um, so it's making sure that you have those appropriate fail safes along the way. Yeah. And then thinking about some of the economics of the business, you're in this ramp up phase and obviously huge market runway for growth. Where do you see the highest amount of spend? Is it on that R&D? Is it on the legal side? Is it on the sales and marketing? And if you think maybe five, 10 years time, how do you think those buckets of costs are going to look? Uh, so at the moment, our main focus is on product uh, and making sure that we are delivering a world-class product and, and constantly developing it. Um, sales and marketing is always a challenge um, and it's always just a numbers game. Um, and an opportunity. <laughs> um, and so for us, I think that, you know, at the moment, it's very heavy on the product side and, and development. Uh, in time, it will be looking at you know, once we get the product to a steady state um, while continuing to add value to our, our users, um, how do we rapidly scale up that, that customer base? So I think that the, the spend mix will probably uh, adjust a little bit over time, but there will always, I mean, we're a product-led business, so we'll always have a very strong focus on, on R&D. 
Yeah. And in terms of that capital intensity, do you find as though most of the work that you do is on creating new products and new add-ons or is it reworking what exists already? Yeah. So thankfully we don't, I mean, particularly from a technical perspective, we don't have much tech debt, which is always great um, yeah. as, as a product business. Uh, it is mainly on the product development. Um, but I think for us, I mean, we sort of see the will as facilitating other products. Mm. So we're constantly updating the will itself um, and making sure that, you know, that the will product itself is globally best in market um, because that facilitates a lot of other uh, opportunities as well. Yeah. And thinking about those strategies to growth, you've talked about some of the uh, adjacencies that are out there. Did you want to give a bit more detail about how we can think about beyond just the safe will and some of the potential runways for other adjacencies? Absolutely. So I think that, you know, end of life at the moment is a really uh, expensive and emotionally difficult process. Mm. Uh, people often focus on the emotional difficulty until they're faced with the situation themselves and then the reality of the expense becomes very real. Um, and that's, you know, terrible because it's coming at the worst time. People are grieving uh, and then they're faced with a huge bill for funeral and legal fees if required. Mm. Um, and what we're trying to do is seeing, okay, what are the areas in that value chain that are broken? Uh, where can we bring this um, approachability and affordability to funeral and to um, you know, insurances and, and, and things like that uh, to make sure that the end of life process is not only, um, you know, not only do you pass away with dignity, but that your family left behind are able to financially support themselves through the process as well. Mm. It is, it's, as you mentioned, a very important topic, but obviously so hard to reach and, and get into the market until the time that's probably a little too late. Um, and then thinking about, again, we talked about some of the offshore potential opportunities, and you said there's some competitors in the US and the UK. With those competitors there, do you think those are easier markets as a result to move in because there's already kind of a player there that is leading the education process or is it better to go into perhaps some, you know, Asian markets than nearer to home or what are you thinking around that geograph geographical footprint? Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, it's something that uh, keeps me up late at night. Um, I think that, you know, there, there are pros and cons to both, particularly for English-speaking markets. There tend to be smaller variations in the law um, compared with, with um, you know, particularly Asian jurisdictions as far as, as the law goes. Um, however, I think that, you know, given that there is that opportunity to capture early adopters in those markets, mm -hmm. um, they might potentially be more attractive. Um, that said, uh, every SaaS company in the world looks to the US uh, because it's generally, you know, one of the biggest markets um, with a lot of uh, tech adopters there. And um, so that's something which we'll probably look at as well. Um, and then thinking about M&A and that growth strategy, is there a place for that within your, your growth strategy? I think so. Uh, controlling um, the decision-making point like the will will be very valuable for a number of companies. Um, I think for us, and particularly myself as founder, uh, trying to keep my eye as much on the business uh, and just trying to build an amazing business, uh, if that eventually leads to an exit or, you know, a listing or something like that, that would be fantastic. Um, but if not, that's okay too. And I think that our eyes are very firmly focused on growing and creating an amazing business uh, and what will come down the line will come.
Yeah, absolutely. And what about you, though, buying some of the businesses? You know, whether that's your way to grow offshore and, and get that foothold, is that something that you guys have been thinking about? Yeah, so, again, our focus at the moment is very firmly being on Australia and looking at how we can go deeper here. Uh, when the time comes, um, you know, an acquisition of an off uh, overseas company could be something that we look at because, you know, as you mentioned, it would be really handy to have a product that already works in that jurisdiction. And um, so that's definitely something which, which we'd consider looking at down the line. Yeah. It sounds as though you've already got quite a few opportunities for growth in the vertical itself just in Australia. So there's a lot of areas that you can definitely move on. So conscious of your time and really appreciate. We've only touched on the surface. So if there is anybody on the call that is keen to hear more, please do reach out to myself and we can put you in contact. Adam Lebowski, CEO of Safe Will, we are very grateful for your time. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks so much, Elise. It's great chatting to you. Thanks. Cheers.